This week, our guest speaker, Brother Chris Henderson, preaches a lesson titled, In God's Time. Let's put that together for Jesus. Lord, I love you. I worship you, God. I praise and lift you up, Jesus, because you alone are worthy to be praised. You alone are high and lifted up, God. Yours is the only train that fills the temple, Jesus. We're here to lift you up and to give you praise. To love and magnify and worship your name, Jesus. You can be seated. Thank you, Brother Juan, for the opportunity to speak. It is an honor to be here among some of the world changers in Indianapolis. Youth Congress did see 35,000, thereabouts. Some estimates put it upwards of 40 on a Friday night, the crowd. Um, I'm not sure of those numbers. Those are just estimates that I've heard. But I'm glad to know that after all of the lights turn out, after the stadium is vacated, after the sound system is torn down, the worship team, the band, the preachers have all gone back home, that when we come back home, when they go back home, when everyone goes back to their home churches, I'm glad to know that God is the same. I'm glad to know that His healing power is still the same. That His saving power is still the same. That His delivering power is still the same. And that this is truly that. So I, uh, I'm, I'm thankful for that. That means something to me. That means something to my family. It means something to uh, every one of you. Now, I don't, I've been here a couple of times, but I don't remember having this many chairs out. So I'm glad for all the visitors that came. They must not have told them that I was coming, but I'm glad that all of you are here. Uh, so I, Brother Kevin, Brother Juan, thank y'all. It was the Saturday before Youth Congress, which we've talked a lot about Youth Congress. Uh, it was the Saturday before Youth Congress, and I was running around IBC. They say that I delegate, uh, but I was still running around IBC with a, like a chicken with my head cut off, finding a drill or something, and, and I got a text on my watch. My phone was in the cafeteria. My wife had my iPad, and my computer was also in the cafeteria. We were staging there, the IBC cafeteria, and it said... Uh, Brother Juan texted me and it said, hey, can you preach on uh, Wednesday night after Youth Congress? And I, hey Siri, text Juan Lopez, yes. Oh geez, don't. Sorry. It was listening. She was listening. She won't send it. Uh, so I texted yes and, and my wife says, well, are you going to do it? What are you talking about? She had read the, the text that came through on my iPad, and she was like, I told Kevin that you're going to go ahead and do it. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to do it. Why would I not want to speak to Calvary Tabernacle Young Adult? So I'm honored to be here. Um, I'm reminded of a story that I kind of want to uh, start here uh, with. An old boy was out hunting, and uh, I guess old boy and hunting don't really go together. An old boy was out hunting, and uh, <laughs> he saw a deer come out. And he saw, an, uh, she turned and looked back. It was a doe. She turned and looked back. So he knew that there was another one coming. And the second one stepped out into the clearing. And he waited for just the right time so that he could line both of them up and drop both of them. And he pulled the trigger and the bullet fired out of the barrel of the gun. 
hit one in the head and the other one in the heart, and they both fell, just dead, fell over. And he, he had killed two deer with one shot, and that's kind of what I want to do here tonight. I want to aim at your head, but I also want to aim at your heart. So I want to change the way you feel about things, uh, about situations in life, but I also want to change the way you think about it. Uh, it seems like our society is obsessed with time. It's time to do this. We were listening to Caleb. Was it Caleb or something? Air One or 88.3, The Walk, to whatever it is. Some Christian radio station. And even the radio jockey on the way here said, it seems like if you want anything done nowadays, you have to put it on the, the calendar. And if it's not on the calendar, it doesn't exist. It's not of importance. It doesn't matter. It, we live in a society obsessed with time, and I find that uh, kind of amusing and kind of disheartening all at the same time. At work, you get fired if you're late too many times, right? At school, three absence equals or three tardies equal an absence. X number of absences means that you're dropped from the class. Punctuality is an important thing in our society, and rightly so. We don't want to make others wait on us. We don't want to make other people feel like they uh, or that we disrespect their time. But the question to me is: Was it always this way? We hear of stories gone by where people sat out on the back porch and made music in the hollers. They had their guitars out, and they, they, what was time like then? The history of time is fascinating to me. Were we always in the rat race? Were we always uh, bound by time? This picture here is uh, a picture of a railway clock, a pocket watch, and it was the Continental Railroad in 1869, the Transcontinental Railway, that connects the east to the west of the United States. And I have an Uncle Paul, well, I had an Uncle Paul, he's no longer alive, and he worked the railways. And any of you who uh, have studied the railways know that everything was local time. It, it, this town had one town clock that displayed a certain time, and another town had another town clock that displayed their time, and they really didn't match, and, and it was kind of hard to run a railway on that time schedule. You leave at 12.53 and 20 seconds, one town. It takes you X number of minutes to get there, and you arrive at 12.25, the next town, because the times were different. Now we live in a society where all the Mickey's feet tap together on your Apple Watch. If you line up 20 Apple Watches and you put them all on the Mickey Mouse setting, all of their feet will tap at the same time because they're solar controlled. They're controlled by a, by a clock and a phone and, a, and all of these different things. And so uh, times really are interesting to me. A well-timed word can be an encouragement. A poorly timed word can be devastation. Every sport has an essence of timing. Take football for an example. From the, from the snap of a pigskin, the timing begins. 350 sometimes plus linemen coordinate themselves to open a hole so that a five foot six, five foot seven little guy can run through the hole. Timing. If it's a drop back pass, he's got three steps and the receiver has to run a certain pattern. He has to throw the ball to where the receiver is going to be. They've practiced the timing over and over and over again so that it becomes muscle memory. Timing is everything. But again, it's not just 
sports and fun and game that operate on timing. Businesses operate on timing. We've referenced it here already tonight. If you're late too many times at work, you get fired. If you miss too many times of a commitment for Calvary Tabernacle Young Adults, Brother Juan is going to say, oh, well, they're just not reliable. Our 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 society is obsessed with time. But the Bible has something to say about time as well. Ryan Thomas had something to say about time. Ryan would be happy to know that I'm using this quote. It has a little bit to do with what we have to talk about. A wise man does not try and hurry history. Many wars have been avoided by patience, and many have been precipitated by reckless haste. That's a good quote. It's on his Facebook. I went and screenshot it. If you want to make haste of something, oftentimes it's going to be to your detriment. So Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 11, to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to get and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to rend and a time to sow. A time to keep silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time of war and a time of peace. What profit hath he that worketh in that wherein he laboreth? I have seen the travail which God hath given to the sons of men to be exercised in it. He hath made everything beautiful in his time. Also he hath set the world in their heart so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to end. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day, for this opportunity to look at your word, God. I pray that you would help us, that you would open our minds and our hearts to be hearers and doers of your word. God, let your word, your preached word, take root and grow in our hearts, become part of who we are so that we can in turn share who you are to everyone else around us. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. I have referenced, Brother Juan has referenced, Sister Driggers has referenced, North American Youth Congress. North American Youth Congress, 1999, God planted a very, very, very specific dream in my life. I could share it with you, but you would look at me and say, you're an idiot. It was a very specific dream. And no doubt that last week at Lucas Oil Stadium, among those 35, 40,000 young people, God planted dreams and visions. Young men shall see visions. Old men shall dream dreams, right? So you're going to be able to, these guys are going to have their lives changed. But God typically answers in three ways. Yes. No, and that third one that's so terrible, wait. It's the response to the third answer that I want to lift out and examine a little bit today. There's a lot of examples of waiting in the Bible, but I want to look at two of my favorite, Abraham and David. I want to find out what Abraham and David did to the wait. 
that God gave them. See, there's, there is such a thing as pushing God's time. I was in the cafeteria at Indiana Bible College, and I was sitting speaking with a student at lunchtime, and they were like, oh, they looked up at the clock in the cafeteria, and they said, oh my goodness, Brother Henderson, I'm late for class. I can't afford another tardy. And they got up, and they gathered their tray, and I, I said, hang on, hang on, hang on. The clock you just looked at is purposefully 10 minutes fast. And they were stunned. They checked their phone, and they said, why? And I said, so that exactly what just happened will happen, and you'll have time to get to class. I don't know that it's purposely done, but I noticed it a long time ago, and it hasn't changed. Ten minutes fast. The cafeteria clock is ten minutes, cla- is ten minutes fast. And I-, I don't want us to get ten minutes ahead of God. Genesis 15, 3 through 5. And Abraham said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed. This is Abraham talking to God. And lo, one born in my house is an heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This is God talking to Abram. This shall not be thine heir, but he shall come forth out of thine own bowels. Shall He that come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look toward the heaven and tell the stars. If thou be able to number them. And he said, so shall thy seed be. That's a promise. That's a huge thing. I have zero kids. I've got a servant that is my heir. God says, nah, don't worry about that guy. You got one coming. By the way, look at the stars. That's the number of your kids. That's that's a paradigm shift. Abraham prayed and toiled for God's promise to happen in his life. But for at least 10 years after this promise, it's the next chapter that we see the following scenario played out. So we're looking 10 years later. Genesis 16, 2 and 3. And Sarah said unto Abram, Sarai said unto Abram, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I'm not going to have any kids. I pray thee. I'm, a- I'm asking you, Abram, go unto my maid that it, that it may be that I obtain children by her. And Abraham hearkened to the voice of Sarai. And Sarai, Abraham's wife, took Hagar, her maid the Egyptian, and Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. And he gave her husband, Abram, to be his wife. So he's got this scenario played out where it looks like this might be the promise played out. It looks like this might be ten years. Now, Abram was already old when the promise was given, we were all familiar with the story. But 10 years later, he's, he's a decade older. It doesn't seem like anything's coming to fruition in their lives. There's no child being born. There's no promise that's being sustained. And he's presented with an opportunity to fulfill the promise. Timing is everything. Waiting is crucial. The glaring lesson that we see here is that every opportunity presented to you, even if it fulfills the promise of God in your life, if it looks like it's going to, this, this is what God has promised me, even though there's an opportunity, it does not mean that that is the will of God. But, but this, this job is going to be so perfect, and I want to give, give $100,000 in missions, and, and this opportunity is going to be so great, but it means that I have to disconnect from ministry a little bit. And it, 
it's the lesser of two evils. Just because we have an opportunity does not mean that it is the will of God for us to take and run with that opportunity. The havoc and devastation that was caused by the decision of Abraham to push God's timing 10 minutes ahead, 10 years ahead, 5 minutes ahead, whatever the case is, the havoc is still felt today. Genesis 21 and 2, for Sarah conceived and Abraham bear a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken. At the set time of which God has spoken. God takes His time. He's not tardy. We're early. He's not forgotten. We're just forcing. So don't let us try and lead Him because He is already ahead of us. He's already got it planned out. He already knows the beginning from the end. We sang about it today. Alpha and Omega. Beginning, end. Author, finisher. He is everything that we need to be. We can't allow ourselves to get 10 minutes ahead of God because we're going to end up looking foolish. Living for God is a little bit like sight singing. How many of you are familiar with sight singing? Show of hands. Oh, good. That's about 50% of the room. Living for Jesus is a little bit like sight singing music. In order to read sight singing, in order to be able to operate, to you don't read sight singing, but you read music, you have to have some basic knowledge. Number one, you have to know what the staff and the clef and the time signature and the key signature all mean. You have to know what the note values equal. You have to know what the other parts are doing and be able to hear all of that. And if I were to give you Handel's Messiah and tell you to open up to the Hallelujah course, our sight singing would be quite pathetic. Even though we know a little bit about sight singing, uh, it, sight singing is something that if you don't do it, you lose it. Just like a lot of other things in life, driving. Sometimes uh, after I haven't driven for a while, I get back on and I'm like, get back on the freeway and I'm like, oh, this is what it feels like to drive or ride a bicycle or uh, go running or whatever the case is, if you don't do it very often, you lose the ability to do that for a sustained amount of time. The great news about sight singing and living for God is the more you do it, the better you get. The more you follow God, the better you get. In that vein of thought, I'd like you to close your eyes for just a moment and picture yourself in a junior high cafeteria. It's Christmas time. Your niece or nephew is been practicing silent night on the instrument of their choosing since picking up that instrument in September and learning how to play. The band director steps up onto the podium, raises his conductor's baton, instruments go up. With a gasp in and a downward motion, the quote-unquote music starts. You can open your eyes and what sound is produced is at least recognizable to Silent Night, albeit barely. The percussion section forgets to watch and begins to play their, play their own rendition of Reliant K's Silent Night. The tuba player misses the beat and comes in, boom, and everyone is thrown off. The saving grace, and this is because I'm a trombone player, the saving grace is that the trombones have a solo, which trombone players never have solos. The trombones have a solo, 
And they obviously kept tapping their foot and kept right in time and kept watching the director and him giving the beat. Following Jesus is a lot like playing music. You have to watch the conductor. You have to watch the music. You have to listen to what other people are doing around you. Now let's take that fictitious story and let's compare it with another, uh, another story, equally fictitious. You walk into the auditorium and there sits a mass of instruments each one of them warming up in their own way. None of them sound very good. One saxophone player is playing his favorite Kenny G, Kenny G song. Another song, uh, the clarinets are playing one and, and squeaking, and another trumpet is blaring concert F, trying to find the tune. The concert director walks up to the podium, same motion, baton up, instruments down, instruments up, gasp in, downward motion, and suddenly the music fills the air. The only difference in the previous scenario and this scenario is the time and professionalism in which these people play. It's the timing. Timing is everything. We have to know what God expects of us. We have to know what God is doing around us. We have to know what to expect of God. You have to keep your eyes on the conductor your pastor, you have to keep your eyes on the music, your Bible, you have to keep your eyes and your ears attuned to everyone else around you, your ministry around you. In order to make music, in order to make all of these things work, you have to have all of those working in harmony. You have to know His time. Knowing God's time. In my opinion, if there ever was an individual who had the right to push God's time, David had that right. David had the right to push God's time because in 1 Samuel chapter number 16, verses 12 through 14, and he sent and brought him in. This is talking about the prophet. Now he was ready and with all of beauty, uh, a beautiful countenance and, a goodly t- uh, and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, Arise and anoint him. Speaking of David, go anoint this little rut guy. Go anoint this guy that really doesn't fit the description. Go anoint him. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David that day forward. David had the anointing. David was, insofar as the anointing was concerned, David was God's man. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah, and the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. Here we have the transitioning of kings. Saul, the Spirit of God, departs from him. David, the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him. If ever there was someone who had the right to rise up and claim their promise, to claim their, their time, David had that right. But it seems that after David was anointed king, he would have had a great life, but it's, it's simple, simply not the case. For the next 16 chapters, it proves that he's not the case. Anointing always carries a cost, and the greater the anointing, the greater the cost. The anointing in your life is going to carry a cost, and the more anointing you want, the more cost you have to give. You're going to have to give up millions at an NBA contract. 
You're going to have to give up a comfortable white picket fence house and a a six-figure job and cars in the garage. You're going to have to give these things up. After David is anointed by the man of God and before he's anointed by man, he tends sheep. David was called to play his harp for the king, which it seems a step closer to where God wanted him. David killed a giant. David won the hearts of people, and David won the hand of the king's daughter. He is now in the family. He's defeated the Philistines and found a slave workforce in defeating the Philistines. Everything politically is lining up for David to take over the kingship. So let's, let's think politically here. Jonathan is around. He's, he's in the picture. But David is married into the family, so it makes sense. You know, I'm a thinker, so I think through these things. It makes sense that he would... It, Jonathan didn't kill Goliath. They're not chanting, Saul has killed his thousands and Jonathan. No, they're chanting, David has killed his ten thousands. So lo- logically, it makes sense for people to say, oh, David could be the next king. He's anointed after all. And I don't know how many people were even there at the anointing of David. It doesn't seem uh, contextually in the Bible, it doesn't seem like there were that many people there. There was no pomp and circumstance when the anointing fell. But everything seems right. It all makes sense. But then Saul goes 100% bananas crazy. At dinner, he tries to pin David against the wall with a spear. David flees for his life because the king is trying to kill him. David sleeps in enemy camps and in tents, and he sought shelter in caves. And in a weapon, in, for weapons, he searched in the tabernacle. David pretended to be a madman, allowing spit to roll down his beard. The anointed king of Israel is running for his life. It doesn't make sense. David is God's anointed. He's chosen by God to rule the kingdom. Samuel had taken the horn and poured the oil. The same oil, at least the same mixture of oil that was used to anoint Saul was used to anoint David. The Spirit of God came on David. The Spirit of God departed from Saul. Everything should have been in line. Saul is a monster. David is fleeing for his life from this monster. At one point, he's so close to the king that he cuts off a corner of his garment. This is in fleeing. At another point, he says, he screams across after being so close. He has the uh, cloak of the king and he says, hey, is anybody going to pay attention to this? Is anybody going to protect God's anointed? If ever there was someone who had a right to push God's timing, in my opinion, David had that right. But David was committed to knowing God's timing and sticking to God's timing because timing is everything for 16 chapters david waits he waits possessing the potential he waits possessing the power he waits possessing the promise for 16 chapters for seven years david waits with the anointing on his life with the ability to perform with the action in his heart to move forward with the children of israel no doubt david had dreams and plans and hopes and and ideas and vision for children. When I'm king, I guess what's going to happen? And no doubt at the same time, David had doubts. Am I ever going to be king? God, what happened that night? What happened that day? Do I still have your anointing? Timing is everything. Because David is different from Abraham. While he sees where God is taking him, he knows how much 
more important it is the way he gets there. Yes, I see the kingship. I know that's where I'm going. But I can't force this thing. Abraham said, yes, I see the stars and my children are going to be like that, but I've got to force this thing. And timing is everything. In closing, I just want to share a personal testimony. I referenced a a fairly particular promise that I felt God has laid on my life. I've shared it with Leah maybe once or twice. But the promise is unfulfilled. But the promise is not dead. The anointing is still there. What we do while we wait is so important. We had an opportunity not that long ago, within the past eight years, we'll say that, to seize what seemed like maybe that promise. To have that opportunity, that chance, that that promise is going to be fulfilled. It was within grasp. We were in the king's court. I was playing proverbially now. I was playing for the king and the evil spirit departed and, and everything seemed to be lining up and God said, wait. We wanted badly to go. We felt like that was where we needed to be. But God said, wait. I can take you to the place right out at Calvary Tabernacle on the platform. I was leading worship We had stepped back, and it was an incredible move of God, as so often happens. And there was a tongues and interpretation, or a tongues that went forth. There was no interpretation, and everyone's kind of, we've all experienced it. It's kind of like, tongues has gone forth, now what's going to happen? And Brother Pedigo took the mic, and he said, sometimes God speaks directly to your heart. And God was speaking directly to my heart. And I knew exactly what he was saying. But it wasn't what I wanted to hear. It wasn't, it wasn't what I wanted to do. Pamela Denny wrote a song. She's a choir director at my home church. Long story short, she's a mentor in Leah and I's life. She wrote a song for a children's musical about prayer. And she sent this musical to one of her mentors, and her mentor said, this song right here does not belong in this musical. There's a greater purpose for this song. So they co-wrote some things and changed some things around. I want to read you, because it's written for a girl, I'm not going to sing it. I want to read you the lyrics, though. I could give a hundred reasons why it's right for me to do what's in my heart. These desires burn within me, and now I'm convinced it's time for me to start. But your tender love restrains me, and you tell me, be still. And to rest within the grace you give somehow. For in spite of all my visions and in spite of all my dreams, this plan may not be for me, at least not now. I will wait until I hear an answer from heaven gentle and clear. I'll be still until I know that you, O Lord, have showed me when and where to go. I will wait. Lord, I know that you have called me, and you'll use me in your time and in your way. I will trust you with tomorrow while you're molding me and shaping me 
today. I may need some preparation for the challenges ahead. You may have a purpose that I cannot see. When it's time, I know you'll show me. When it's time, I know you'll provide. And you'll open every door that's meant for me. I will wait. Until I hear an answer from heaven, gentle and clear, I'll be still until I know that you, O Lord, have showed me when and where to go. I will wait. And as I wait on you, I'm getting stronger, growing in my faith each day. And as I am waiting, I am learning to put my trust in you and let you show the way. So what's the point? The point is that promises birthed in our hearts sometimes lay there. The plans that God has for us sometimes just linger in the background and we we seem to be going over and over and over day and day and day. And it's like, God, I'm so aggravated. Give me a yes so I can go. Give me a no so I can put roots down. And God's saying, no, just wait. I'm going to tell you, young adults, it's in that waiting. It's in that moment where you can find strength in God. Ecclesiastes 3 and 11 says, He hath made everything beautiful in His time. Everything beautiful in His time. Also, He hath set the world in their heart so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. So what's the point? The point is wait. Is it easy? No. But how you deal with the wait is going to affect your yes or your no. Abraham got his yes. Abraham had the opportunity to have his seed as the stars in the sky, as the sand in the seas, on the beaches. Abraham had that opportunity. God fulfilled his promise, but the chaos and the havoc that was wreaked in between. Not even for history's sake. Just look at his own life's sake. Within his lifespan, he had to deal with some things that were consequences of him trying to push God ten minutes forward. Push God ten minutes forward. Now how on earth David dwelt in caves for seven years anointed of God, I don't know. But I do know this, that God called him a man after his own heart. Oftentimes we, we reference that because of the praise and the, and, and, and the repentance and all the things. But he's a man after his own heart. That means that he has the ability to seek after God in the waiting. He has to have the ability to say, okay, God, seems like Jesus prayed a prayer. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Did that send him to a cross? Yeah, absolutely. Maybe it just sends us through a period of waiting. But the ability to pray that prayer, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. That is absolutely crucial. So will you wait? What promise has God given you? What ministry has God promised you? What visions has He shown you? What places has He taken you in your, in your wildest imaginations? 
I could, I could tell you where God's taking me, where he showed me what I feel like God has planned for me, but I'm not there. So what are we going to do in the wait? What are we going to do in the wait? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to just look at what happens when we wait on you, God. Lord, I pray that you would somehow touch our heart, Jesus. Lord, oftentimes you plant things really deep in there. And we want so badly for them to come to fruition. We want so badly to see the tree grow. We want so badly to see your promise manifest in our life, God. But Lord, I pray that you would give us the ability to wait on you, God. I pray that you would anoint us with the strength for the journey so that while we're seemingly in a cave, God, maybe we live in a nice house, but it seems like ministerially we're in a cave, like we're bumping up against walls and we're not sure where you want us, God. I pray that you would help us to wait. And that as we wait on you, I pray that your, your strength would make us perfect, God. In our weakness, that we, can, that we can fall into your arms, God, and just trust in knowing that, that you've got it all in control. That you make everything beautiful in your time, God. Lord, help us to know that for everything there's a season and a time to every purpose under heaven, God. Help us to know that you are the author, the finisher, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, God. Lord, you, you see everything, God. I pray that you would help us during this waiting, Jesus. That you would bless us. Help us to learn the lessons that you want us to learn while we wait, God. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. We'll be quick to give you praise, glory, and honor for it. Amen, amen, amen.